Before I do anything else, I want to thank the Lord for being here. I uh, look back there and see Brother Paul, who I was here two years ago, and he and his family treated me so well. None of the three of them were saved at the time, and got to hear him testify of the Lord's goodness and salvation this morning, and it blessed my heart so much. And um, that is what it's all about. If you have not come to know the Lord, it's never too late. It doesn't matter if you're 80 years old or 100 years old or 8 years old. The greatest difference in life is when you come to know Jesus in the forgiveness of your sins and in the peace that He gives. Nothing is the same after that. And His peace is subtle. I want to mention this. I, I don't like talking about myself a whole lot, but Brother Jason mentioned the night I was saved. I was 14. It was uh, Independence Day, July 4th, 1999, and I had been lost for five years. And when I say lost, I I always like to explain religious terms because I don't know who's listening. I wasn't driving in a car lost. I mean, God showed me in my heart that I was not okay. I was broken. I was afraid of dying. I was afraid to go to sleep at night. That started when I was nine years old. And it lasted until I was 14 when finally on my face in a puddle of tears, I surrendered everything to God. See, I tried repenting. I had been raised in church and been shown the right things to, to believe. And I knew that when I came to a place of realization of my sins, that God would show me I was separated from Him and I would have to repent. I knew that. And so I tried repenting. I tried praying alone. I tried praying in public. I got desperate. I even tried some prayers with those uh, TV evangelists. That didn't work. I didn't think it would, but I tried. I I was willing to try anything except the one thing, which was completely and unconditionally surrendering my life and my eternal security to Jesus. I had to get to the point where in my heart... I felt so deeply that I would use words like this, God, whatever happens is up to you. You have to do this. And I remember when the Lord saved me, I was blessed to be in a service where there were so many people in the floor praying, saved people as well, that I couldn't even get to the front where the altar was to pray there. I fell down over on that side because that's as close as I could get. And I prayed for a long, long time, hours. And at some point, I noticed that I was praying for a little friend of mine instead of myself because I no longer had a burden for myself. The first fruit of salvation is God puts in your heart a desire and a love for other people, a desire for them to have the freedom that you have. In my mind, I overcomplicated things. And in my mind, I said, wait a minute, Josh. What are you doing praying for other people? You need to pray for yourself. But I couldn't because the burden of sin, the fear of death, and the brokenness that I felt inside was lifted and gone and God had replaced it with peace that was so quiet and so subtle I almost didn't notice. I don't know where I got these ideas, but I had in my head that something dramatic needed to happen. That there should be a bright light that there should be some catastrophe or something. And maybe it's from some of the testimonies that I heard people tell. But if you're here in this building or you're listening to this message later, I want you to know this. Salvation, 
The word means deliverance. It's deliverance from sin, but what it really is, at the foundation, salvation is peace with God. He doesn't just save you so you can get a ticket to heaven for some day later when you die. He saves you so you can have peace in a broken, messed up world. Peace. Salvation is peace with God. And so whatever you hear from people's testimonies, whatever you hear me or maybe Brother Jason preach this week, I want you to know that God's way always has peace at its foundation. Always. When He wants you to do something, underneath there is peace. There might be pressure. There might be a nudging. There might be a burden. But underneath there's certainty and peace. And when He saved me, even though my mind was spinning and trying to confuse me, there was peace that was unshakable. I couldn't... You know, I went home that night. My cousin was saved the day before. We were about the same age. And uh, she was really blunt and said, So, what's going on? I said, I don't know. I think I might have got saved. She said, You think you did? So I went home, prayed about it. It took about two weeks before I told it publicly. But in the meantime, I went to a Boy Scout camp... And there was a boy there that I was talking to and I couldn't help but tell him what God had done for me. I couldn't keep it inside. Peace. But it was so calm, so quiet. So I want you to know that as I begin trying to preach tonight and this week, the things of God are peace. The things of the enemy, they're the opposite. It's chaos, it's confusion, it's distraction, it's um, worrying. All this stuff. You see how my hands are going? This is what my mind does. If you can't see, I'm spinning my hands in circles. My mind does that until God slows it down enough to feel His peace underneath. And so as we begin tonight, I want to encourage all of us. In fact, I'm going to pray in a moment. I want to encourage all of us. Let your mind slow down. Let go of whatever you're thinking about in the world, whatever job tomorrow or next week. All that matters is right now. I'm not saying that in some kind of religious way. I'm saying it in the most real way I can, literally. All that we have is this moment. The future doesn't exist. And when it gets here, it'll be the present. Do you understand? All we have is right now. So we have to let go of the past. It's gone. And don't worry about the future in this service tonight. Think about right now. And listen to what God would have for us. I'm going to begin... with just a moment of prayer. Lord Jesus, thank you for the opportunity to be here and speak to these people. Thank you for your love. Thank you, Lord, for counting me worthy, even though I'm not in myself. You have decided I am worthy to carry your gospel. Thank you that you can look on me in love through Jesus. Thank you for each soul here tonight. Help our minds be attentive to the gospel. Help our hearts be softened to hear the truth that you have. And come, Lord, with your Holy Spirit in a mighty, powerful way. Lord, I'm a weak vessel. I'm just a man. And no matter what I may say, it's not going to matter unless your Holy Spirit accompanies it with power. And so come and speak the truths that you would have me say. With my mouth, speak those truths to our hearts. In Jesus' name, amen. Matthew chapter 13, verse 44 is where our text will be. Matthew 13, verse 44. 
you can keep your spot there because I'll maybe reference a couple of these other parables, but the text that's really on my heart is this 44th verse. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like unto a treasure hid in a field, the which when a man has found, he hides, and for joy thereof goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. If you've been in church much, you've probably heard this passage preached on, and maybe you've heard it even preached in the way I'm going to try to tonight. I'm not trying to bring something new or sensational. I'm not trying to be original. What God has put on my heart tonight is to preach the truth. And when the Holy Spirit comes and delivers the truth of the gospel to our hearts, it'll be powerful. And it may even seem original. Some of it might be like something you haven't heard before if God opens our hearts and minds. But I want you to continue to pray for me because I'm just a messenger. The message that I am bringing is so much greater than I am. And the person I'm preaching about, Jesus, is the only one worthy of praise and attention. Not me. So don't don't put your hope in Brother Josh or I'm going to come and do something. All I can do is try to give you what God put in my heart. What kind of field... Are we talking about? He says the kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field. I want us to think about that for a moment before we dig into the rest of this verse. What is a field? One of the reasons that I like when I come out here to fly into Portland and then drive to the coast is I love seeing the landscape. It's such a contrast between farmland and mountains and then this beautiful evergreen rainforest type setting. It's beautiful. But about 45 minutes from Portland on the way down here, you see wide open fields full of uh, some type of grass that they bundle up into hay rolls and feed the cattle. That's one kind of field. There are fields that, you know, underneath there's oil and you look out across and you see um, the oil pumps pulling oil out of the ground. That's another kind of field. You look out across another field in certain states and you see these gigantic windmills. It's another kind of field where they harvest wind. It's some places you drive, you look out in the field, and what you see are just miles and miles of solar panels where they're harvesting the power of the sun and storing it to use for energy. You look out under other landscapes, and it's not really a field, but you see a landscape of forest where they might turn it into lumber to build houses for people. The point is, any segment of ground can have so many different kinds of uses. And it's all part of the earth. And this man, we don't know what kind of field he bought. We don't know how big it was. We don't know if there were trees on it. We don't know if it was rocky. We don't know if it was full of clay. We don't know if it had hay on it. Say, what are you talking about, Josh? I'm telling you, the man bought a field. And beyond that, we don't know. How did he know to buy the field? How did he know to buy the field? We're told the kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hid in the field. Where's the treasure? The way I read this is it's under the ground. I've dabbled a little bit in in real estate, uh, rental properties and foreclosures and stuff. And one thing that people in that industry always tell you, what is it? Location, location, location. This man's concern with the field had nothing to do with location. It had to do with what was buried underneath the surface. 
Is what I want you to realize. I don't think he went by the field and recognized, and this is a parable, maybe it's not a literal man about a literal field, but if I were a, a tree farmer, I don't there's a term for that, I'm sure. What is it? Is, is there a word? Forester, okay. Or if I were a, a farmer, if I were a rancher, I'd want a field that had great hay and great water. If I were a forester, a field, a plot of ground, lots of trees. This man, we don't know what kind of man he was. We don't know if it was an industry that he was looking into. And the natural eye, this is where I'm headed with this, the natural eye will drive by a field and it'll say, what am I good at? What am I going to use that for? Will it suit my purposes? What's on top of the field? What can I see? What can I use it for? Is it grass, hay, stubble, clay, trees, rocks? This man was wise enough to know that there was a treasure that he couldn't observe with his eyes. We don't know how he heard about the treasure in the field. Was it by word of mouth? We don't know. Did somebody come up to him, some person that everybody else in the town thought was crazy, and they said, listen... You can't tell from looking at it, but when you go by this field underneath the surface is something so valuable, it's worth everything you own in your whole life. What if there was somebody going through the town all the time telling everybody that very same message? There is a field and underneath the surface, underneath the grass, underneath the trees, underneath the rocks, there's something so valuable. You can't see it and you won't know it's there until you buy it. The only way you'll know what is in that field underneath is once you actually buy it. And maybe he went around telling people over and over, there's this field and under the surface is this worthy thing that you're not going to know about until you give up everything you have, sell it all and buy it. Maybe this town crier went around telling people this and he knew it was the truth. We don't know how he knew it was the truth. Maybe it was a message that had been passed down from his family generation after generation that there was somehow they knew that there was this valuable spot of ground. Maybe this man was about to die and he wanted to tell people so they would know. And maybe in this parable, the only person who ever listened was this man who heard that there's a treasure in a field that he couldn't see with his natural eye and for some reason he believed him. He went and sold everything he had and he bought it. And we don't know much more than that. It's just one verse. But we know that once he found it, for the joy thereof, he went and sold all he had and bought that field. There was something inside of his spirit when he heard about this field and the great treasure that was in it that made him go home rejoicing and give up everything he had to buy it. If you've been to church much, you probably know where I'm about to go with this. But I still want us to consider with fresh heart and focus and mind. Are there things in life that are so important to us to have that we would let go of everything else? Maybe if you're a Christian, you've been trained to to say, well, the Lord, I would give up everything for Him. But would we really? Do we really? What was in the field? Whatever might have been in the field, I believe that part of what this parable is talking about, the treasure in the field is truth. And this man had a desire in his heart, and whatever the cost, no matter what he had to give up, he wanted to know truth. 
And so somehow he heard about a treasure that was beneath the surface, that was underneath everything he could see with his eye, and he gave up everything he had just to lay hold on it. We don't know what he did once he bought the field and had access to the treasure. We don't know if he dug it up and made use of it. We don't know if he ate it. We don't know what kind of treasure it was. That's the parable. But in the extension of what the parable is talking about, he gives up everything he has to gain access to this truth that is buried beneath the surface. I want you to know that the things of God are always beneath the surface. Brother Jason preached this morning about waiting on the Lord. That is the hardest thing for my composition, my personality, my nature to do. I feel like I'm the most impatient person I know. I don't know if that's accurate, but that's how I feel. You know how God helps you gain some perspective on His timing? He doesn't just zap a wand into your life and give you patience. He allows you to have circumstances in your life that make you realize how impatient you are, and you have to surrender even that to Him, let go of it and depend on Him, and wait on Him. It's hard, but it's worth it. There's a field. I want to be very clear, not just talking in a parable. Jesus used this parable to talk about the kingdom of heaven. And I want you to know the kingdom of heaven, God has planned this universe, this creation in such a way that He meant for mankind to experience all the fullness of life on this earth. That's how He designed us. He invented Adam out of the the dirt made him out of the dirt, built a body, and then breathed into him life, and he became a living soul. And then he recognized he needed somebody to help him, he gave him a wife. And they made a family. And God's heart for this dirt man that he created was to live in this beautiful earth and experience all the fullness of it. Abundant life. That was God's heart for us. God is the same yesterday, today, today, and forever. He doesn't change, and I want you to know that is still His heart for mankind. And even though Adam and Eve made a mistake and partook in sin and did the one thing that God told them not to do and messed up all of everything for the rest of us, even though they did that, God's heart for us, His desire for us is still to experience abundant life. Not just someday when you die, but in this life. He wants you to experience the fullness of His love and His peace. He wants you to know His purpose in your daily life. He wants to use you for His glory. He wants to use you to bring love to people. He wants to comfort you in your trials. He wants to help you in every way. This is what God wants for us. And there is a treasure. There's a field. The gospel, the truth, is like this treasure that is hidden beneath a field. And this field is like the gospel. We preach the gospel and people look at it and they say, ugh, those weird people, those missionary Baptists, I don't get it. You know how many people I've heard, and by the let me make this disclaimer, I believe that there are all kinds of saved people in the world. I've met them in different denominations and non-denominations and people who've never heard of denominations. I've met people who've truly found the Lord. But there's a distinctive among 
this group of people that are usually identified by that name Missionary Baptist, and that distinctive is we preach and believe and teach that you can actually know God and you can hear His voice and you can be led by Him. And we heard that this morning, people speaking of God's goodness with such a way that I could sit back and my carnal eye could maybe uh, criticize that we're in a small building or, or the kinds of songs or whatever. But when I, if I sit back and anybody who comes among this kind of people, they can say only one thing. That's real. Those people have something. They're actually talking about something that's real. And I've heard person after person who came maybe from different religious backgrounds or from backgrounds that weren't religious talk about coming among a group of people like this. And what they went away with, even if they said, I thought y'all were all crazy, or they said, I didn't like your music, or, or I didn't like your service the way it went, I didn't like everybody praying out loud, I've heard all of that. But in the end, they step back and they say there was something real about those people getting up and talking about what God was doing in their life. Amen. There's something real about it. Amen. And so the gospel... Like this field, it might look like every other field out there. It might look like it's not something special. But underneath is a truth of salvation that's so powerful and so important. That's what you have to listen to. And I want you to know, I'm not trying to preach some kind of tradition. I'm trying to preach truth. And what I'm telling you is, if you ask God to show you what is real, He will. Say, God, where do you want me? He'll show you. Are these people right? He'll show you. Doesn't mean we're perfect. Doesn't mean there's some things that maybe we could improve or do differently. That's not what I'm saying. But if you go home and in your mind there's all these thoughts, and in your heart there's all these feelings, and you say, God, show me what's real, He'll do it. Show me if that preacher's crazy, what he's talking about, actually finding you when he was 14 on his face in a puddle of tears. Show me if what he said is real. He'll show you. I believe that we serve a God who's so powerful and so mighty, He will actually speak to you individually and personally and show you whether what I'm saying is true. Amen. He'll do it. So somehow this man in the parable, he knew to look past the field and have faith that there was a treasure underneath and he gave up everything to buy it. Before I move on, I want to say that Salvation comes the point of unconditional surrender. When God begins dealing with your heart and showing you you're not okay with Him, what it takes to have peace is for you, metaphorically, you might, if you might be a child, you might not even have anything to sell. But it takes you being willing to let go of everything and say, God, you have to help me, or whatever form of that word you use. There were people who actually did have to sell everything. There was a young rich ruler who came to Jesus and said, Good master, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said, Why are you calling me good? There's no one good except the Father in heaven. That was the first thing he pointed out. What he was trying to tell him, and I want to tell you tonight, is if you think I'm good because I'm preaching some life philosophy or I'm preaching some uh, good living style, I'm some guru, that's not enough. Jesus was telling him the only thing that really matters is the life that comes from the Father above. Amen. And so he went and had a conversation with him. What kind of man are you? The man basically said, I, I am a man who has upheld the law and done everything I should. 
And Jesus said, and yet you lack one thing. Sell all your goods, give it to the poor, and you'll have treasure in heaven. I want to be clear. That's not required of everybody. Not everyone has to sell everything they have in order to be saved. But that man, for whatever reason, it was standing in his way. He was relying on his wealth, and Jesus knew he couldn't surrender his life to him until he got rid of it. And I want to tell you, whatever you rely on must be let go of before God will give you peace. That's what this man did. Sold everything he had because of the joy of the truth in this field and bought it. We don't know what he did, as I said, once he bought the field. The important thing was he bought it. Gave up everything he had. I want to read just one verse from Mark. And uh, don't take the time to turn there because I'm going to come right back to this Matthew. Mark 4, verse 26 through 28. Jesus said, So is the kingdom of God, as if a man should cast seed into the ground and should sleep and rise night and day, and the seed should spring and grow up, he knows not how. For the earth brings forth fruit of herself, first the blade, then the ear, and after that the full corn in the ear. But when the fruit is... Fruit is brought forth immediately. He puts in the sickle because the harvest has come. I love this passage which shows me so clearly that all the workings of God are underneath the surface. How? Sometimes as preachers or pastors or just saved people, we worry, God, is what I'm doing making a difference? Does it even matter? I felt uh, not long ago, it was about a year and a half, saying the words doesn't convey the depth of what I felt. But I'll be honest with you, I felt like I'd wasted my whole life. That's how I felt. I've been preaching 12 years. Good job. Nice house. Comfortable. Trying to serve the Lord. And the enemy put in my mind, in my spirit... My whole life had been a waste. And God put it on me, and I tried to preach this message. The Lord said, I will restore your wasted years. And I didn't understand then like I'm beginning to understand now, and I'm sure I don't understand it now like I will someday. But the things that God is doing, they're beneath the surface, and we don't see most of it. Just like this parable I just read. The kingdom of heaven's like a man who goes out, plants some seed, and night after night, day after day, he goes to bed, he wakes up, he looks and sees, and there's no plant there. He goes out the next day, he looks, there's still no plant. But his job is just to put the seed out. He looks out the next day, goes home, goes to bed, gets up the next day, and he might say, Lord, I don't know if I'm making a difference. I can't see the results, I can't see the plant. I'm just putting seed out. Does it even matter? Goes back to bed, gets back up the next day. You know what the worst thing he could do? Is exactly what our flesh encourages us to do. He go out, dig up the dirt, find out what's happening. And sometimes we do that with people who are being dealt with by the Lord. We try to dig up what the Spirit's doing inside of them. Honey, just give it up to the Lord. Pray a little harder. Let go. Hold on. That's not what they need. They need to be left alone to seek the Lord and hear His voice. Everything I've tried to do in my life without the Lord is a mess. 
especially spiritual things, because I can't see what's working underneath the dirt. Understand? This man, this parable, he went out, he planted some seed, he went to bed, and it says, the plant is growing and he doesn't know how. That's a parable of the spiritual things. All our job is to plant. We don't know how it works. We don't know how the Holy Spirit does what He does. So let me use a phrase I heard from another preacher. Just let the dirt do its work. Amen. Let the Holy Spirit operate as He does. Cast out the seed, preach the truth, leave the results up to Him, and when the harvest comes, be ready with the sickle to cut it down and get it where it needs to be. Amen. We try to put that in different words. Relax. Don't be so hard on yourself. Don't try to do something only God can do. Relax. Just love people. Just speak the truth. I love the way Pendleton talks about predestination. He says it's like a, a farmer who plants a seed, puts down fertilizer, manure, and, and then he prays for it to rain, and if he gets enough rain and he gets enough sun, then there will be a plant. But his, his job is just to do what he can do. This man goes to bed, gets up night after night, and the seed springs and grows up, but he doesn't know how. There's a parable earlier in this 13th chapter of Matthew. 28th verse, I want to read this one if you want to just turn back a little bit. Matthew 13, verse 28. Jesus said unto them, well, I'm going to back up a little further. 24th verse, Matthew 13, 24. Another parable Jesus put forth unto them, saying, The kingdom of heaven is likened unto a man who sowed good seeds in his field. But while men slept, his enemy came and sowed tares, these are weeds, among the wheat, and they went his way. But when the grass was sprung up and brought forth fruit, then appeared the weeds also. So the servants of the householder came and said unto him, Sir, didn't you throw good seeds in your field? Where have these weeds come from? Let me pause here and say sometimes, even the people closest to us see our labors and say, well, you're just planting weeds, what happened? But God knows if we're planting good seed, He knows. He said unto them, An enemy has done this. And the servant said unto him, Do you want us to go and gather them up? But he said, No, lest while you gather up the weeds, you'll root up the wheat with them. Let both grow together until the harvest. And in the time of the harvest, I will say to the reapers, Gather ye together first the wheat, first, excuse me, first the tares or weeds, and bind them in bundles and burn them, but gather the wheat into my barn. Listen. That's another example of us not understanding what is going on underneath the surface in the kingdom of God. That man in this parable did his job. He planted good seeds and next thing he knew there were bad seeds mixed in with it. There were bad plants growing with the good plants. And sometimes even in one of the Lord's churches, there are bad plants growing with the good plants. That's not new. The very men that Jesus worked with, out of twelve, one of them was a demon. Judas, evil, so evil that he betrayed the Messiah. And he was so convincing that the other 11 apostles when, or disciples, when Jesus was saying, one of you will betray me, they said, Lord, is it I? 
So, don't get bent out of shape if you have a church member here and there who's a mess. Maybe you wonder if they're even saved. <laughs> the first church started like that with Jesus. And he allowed it. Because it accomplished his purpose. So we have to realize we're so small. And the things that we can do are so limited. And our God is so mighty. Let me tell you this. There's all kinds of doctrinal philosophies always swirling around. I'm going to tell you something Scripture plainly teaches. And I'm going to use the terms that I think are accurate. Even if it may bring up doctrinal controversy. I believe God is sovereign. Let me tell you, I believe that means, I think Scripture teaches this, that God can do whatever He wants, whenever He wants, however He wants, with whomever He wants, without answering to anybody. He can do whatever He wants. That's what sovereignty means. God created us with our own limited sovereignty. We're sovereign beings who can do whatever we want, whenever we want, however we want. We're only limited by our power or our ability to act. But we can do within the framework of our own power whatever we want. You can choose to seek God or not. You can choose to serve Him or not. But I want you to know this. If you're trying to serve the Lord, if your heart is for Him, nothing will happen in your life unless God allows it. I believe that. I've experienced it and I've had some hard things happen in my life, but I look back on it and I realize that those things were circumstances that God was ordering to bring about my own brokenness so He could use me for His glory. You know there are people that God has used me to reach their spirit with my broken spirit in a way that I never could have if I had been all calm and collected and uh, can figure everything out and be strong all the time. God doesn't want that. He wants us to depend on Him. So we might look at the labors that are going on and say, Oh Lord, I don't know about all these weeds growing with the wheat. We might look at the field and say, Lord... I'm really worried. I don't know kind of if I need a hay field or a, a rock field or a tree field. And God's back there. Uh, I'm saying it that way to ingest because I think we miss the point. It's not about what we can see. It's about what's underneath. We worry about visible things. And Jesus tells us clearly through, all through Scripture, but especially in the New Testament letters through His apostles, that the things which are seen are temporal. The things which are unseen are eternal. Peter writes about the very elements being melted with fervent heat at the end. That everything we can touch and feel, the things we look at, it's all going to be burned up. You know what's going to be left? Only the invisible. So trust not what your natural eye can see. If you're saved, and by that I mean if you have peace with God, if you truly know Him, If He leads you, if you hear His voice from time to time, I'm not talking about an audible voice. I'm talking about a movement in your spirit that you know is from beyond yourself and God nudges and leads and shows you things that He wants you to do. If you know Him like that, I want you to know that neither height nor depth nor principalities, powers, things present, things to come, nothing will separate you from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Nothing. If you don't yet know God like that, You can. This is where, in many religious groups, it would come to the point where I tell you to say a prayer, 
or believe some things, and if you do, then I declare that you're okay. That doesn't work. Here's what Scripture teaches. This is what we should do. Best advice I was given when I was a young child. Honey, one day, the Holy Spirit will let you know you're lost. And He'll let you know when you're saved. I want to tell all of you, young or old, children or old person, whoever you are, the Holy Spirit will let you know where you stand with God Almighty. And when you recognize it, when I was nine years old and God began to deal with my heart, all I really knew was I suddenly, I always put it this way, I was at church minding my own business. I don't even know what I was doing, playing with cars or coloring or whatever. The point was, one moment I was totally fine. I was okay. wasn't worried. And next moment, I had an awareness of my sinfulness, my brokenness, my wretchedness, and my need for God. The Holy Spirit let me know that. And even though my mind played all kinds of games with me, once I had peace with God, the Holy Spirit let me know. So, if you've never come to a place of truly knowing God, if you don't have peace in your heart, call out to Jesus. Ask His Spirit to let you know where you stand. There's a treasure in a field. And this field, oh, it might not look like much. might even have some burnt up weeds on top. But there's a man here tonight telling you that there's a field that has a treasure underneath it that's so valuable that it's worth giving up everything you have, everything you value in your life just to have it. That field is the gospel. That treasure is the truth. And in the truth is salvation. Jesus preached and told the people, He said, You shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. And if you're free, you'll be free indeed. And they said, We're Abraham's children. (laughs) And from then on, they tried to kill Him. They were incensed that Jesus wanted to tell them the truth because the truth that He told jeopardized their whole life philosophy. I want you to know, here in this building or listening as I close, you may have to let go of the life philosophy you've held for your whole life. You may have to admit that what you really thought was right your whole life is not right. And you might have to let go of the reliance on some religious doctrine or dogma, but I want you to know it's worth selling your self-reliance to get this treasure of great worth in a field that everybody else might look over. To have peace with God is worth Everything. I feel finished with with what I need to say. Um, I feel like there's still some other things maybe that need to be done in the service. And I'm not a routine follower. In a few minutes, I'll turn the service back over to Brother Jason. But before I do, before we have a song or any of that kind of stuff, I want us to just sit here for a minute. Think about the things that were preached. And let the Holy Spirit of God speak to your heart what you need to hear. Maybe you need to be comforted that you haven't been wasting your life. Maybe you have been calling out to God and He hasn't yet saved you. And maybe you need to just listen to Him about that. Just take just a moment and see what the Lord might be telling you.